Um, we get to dig into God's word today. Um, just in case you don't know, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it is my joy to get to worship with you. For those of you that are joining us online, um, blessings to you. Um, we're so glad that you get to be a part of this and we get to be a part of uh, the path that God's leading you on today. So uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke all the way leading up uh, toward um, uh, Easter. Uh, also, just a quick uh, pause moment. Um, uh, Pastor Chris was up here and he mentioned that we had uh, a medical thing, uh, Mary Scout. Uh, she, they found, you know, they were taking care of her and people were uh, sending to her. Um, and you want to know if God answers and God speaks? Well, he speaks right away. Uh, Mary's doing well. Um, she's stable. Things are good. They did take her to the hospital as just a precaution. Um, but I know many of you, our children, are very blessed by Mary. She is beloved in our children's ministry. And so um, continue to be praying for her. But I just wanted to let you know, uh, we pray, we ask God for help, and he speaks. So we worship, and we come close to God, and God speaks. And that's what this is about today. This is what a message is, a sermon, a chance to hear God speak, his word illuminated. And I don't tell you the truth as the truth is. I tell you how God has, like, poked me and grabbed hold of me. And so um, I was looking at Luke 5, and as a daunting piece of scripture, there, there are many, and this is one of them, because there are a whole ton of things in Luke chapter 5 that we could talk about. Just a, a spectacular amount of great moments in Jesus' ministry. Um, there's the, you know, the catch of the fish and, and the fishers of people that Jesus calls the disciples into. There's um, the, the uh, story of the leper who's like, hey, Jesus, if you're willing to heal me, and Jesus is like, come on, dude, of course. There's the story, Luke's version of the story of the friends carrying their buddy on a, on a platform and then they can't get close to Jesus and so they bust through a roof and they lower him down and Jesus is like, oh, because of your friend's faith, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, well, you can't do that. And Jesus is like, what, you don't think I can? Well, just to prove that I have the authority, get up and walk. And the dude does. And all these are in there, right? The new wine, new wineskins, all this is in there. So a little intimidating. I'm trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. What is God's word for us today? And so I'm praying over and praying over it. And this is where God led me. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. God's word for us today. So Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. Sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so now I'm going to get as precariously close to preaching a three-point sermon as I ever get. Because I'm more of a storyteller, but as a story goes, at this moment in Jesus' ministry, this moment in Levi's life, there are three distinct components that I kind of unpacked as I was digging into this word, and that means there's three things we got to talk about, which means three points. 
And I'll just tell you what they are from the outset. And you kind of know like road signs. You'd be like, okay, number one's done, number two's done. He should be getting to number three pretty soon. Three points. Three things happening in this moment. Number one, there's a calling. Number two, there's a response. And number three is healing. Let's start at number one. First thing that happens in this moment is a calling. Now, how do you, how do you understand the calling on Levi's life if you don't know what calling is? Do you know what calling is? Calling is very simply this. When God's plan for a person is made clear. That's it. When you know, when you realize, when it becomes obvious the path that God has for you in your life, you have received a calling. It's, it's just that simple. So often we limit this word call or calling to people in vocational ministry. Pastors are called. Everybody's called. It's not just us. A calling is anyone, anybody, every single person who belongs to Jesus and wants to do God's will in their life to be a blessing on others. Anyone has a calling. And it can be a calling in a plethora of different ways. You can be called in spectacularly different and myriad of ways. And every calling is distinct and different because it is the Holy Spirit working in you for your purpose, for God's purpose in your life, so that you will be all that he wants you to be. Because you have a purpose in this world, right? What is it? Ooh, that's a tough one. It can be very simple. Some people are called to be moms. Some people are called to be dads. And some people are called to be engineers. And some people are called to flip burgers. I did that for a while. Some people are construction workers. Some people are called to be beauticians. And some are morticians. And some are video game designers. When I said that at the first service, I'm like, how many video game designers do we have in the house? And all the gray hairs were like, what's a video game? Some people are called to be volunteers or friends or spouses. You can be called to any of these things and a very huge variety more because what it is is God's plan manifesting in your life. Are you going to be used in the way that you are called to be a blessing to others and to follow who Jesus is and who God is and what he wants for you? Levi received a call. Levi's call in this moment is to leave behind his previous work to physically follow Jesus into a new ministry. He's being asked to leave behind a lucrative, if unpopular, career to spend all day, every day with Jesus, which is something that happens quite often, almost always, when you receive a call. You are being asked to step away from what once was to do something new. If you're called to be a parent, you go from not being a parent to being a parent, (laughs) If you're called to change jobs, that's what you do. If you're called to move to Jamaica, you thank God for good weather and you say, okay. When you are called, you stop what once was and you do something new. Levi was called to leave what was basically state-sanctioned criminal enterprise. He was a tax collector and that meant he was a crook. He was hired by Rome to extract taxes from his own community. He was given permission by Rome to take as much more as he deemed fit so that he could have a comfortable life. Tax collectors in that day were rich men, and they got rich off the backs of the poor people around them. 
I imagine it probably went something like this. He's sitting out in his tax booth. He's got his list of all the people in the community. It's a small community, so he knows everybody. And he sees you walking by. He goes, oh, hey, Sally. Any Sally's in the house? Good. <laughs> I don't want to like anybody to be like, oh, he's talking to me. It's tax time. I, I show you haven't paid taxes. Now, I know, I know that you think the Roman tax is like a flat 30%, but what you don't know, and I've received this word directly from Rome, is that there's also a road tax and an aqueduct tax. There's a septic system tax. There's the you get to breathe today tax. And of course, I've got to pay my bills, so I'm going to charge you 10% on top of that just for me. But you know what, Sally? I'll tell you what. Today's a holy day. So I'm going to take 2%. I'm going to only charge you 8% because it's a holy day and God is good. We want to honor him. Of course, I have to work on a holy day. So I'm going to have to charge you 3% for me working on a holy day tax. Does it make you feel a little icky? That was being a tax collector. And that's what Levi did. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And immediately Levi leaves behind it all. It begins with a call, with God saying, I have a plan for you. And that brings us to number two. What do you do when you've been called? Well, you have to respond. There's a response necessary. When somebody comes to you and says, you got to do something about it. Now, you can go, okay, like Levi did, or you can go, no, or if you like kind of feel a little convicted, but you don't want to feel convicted, you can be like, la, 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 I can't hear you. But that's a still a response. There's always a response when there's a call. And Levi in this moment responds. In fact, I love this point because when it comes to responses, there's actually two responses in this passage. There are two people who respond in this moment. The first, of course, is Levi. Levi, here's uh, what's going on. He sees Jesus coming to him. Jesus is following me. And Levi's like... Okay, and he responds. He gets his buddies, all his tax collector buddies together, and, and he's going to throw a party. He probably got them together because they're the only people that would interact with him, that would spend any time with him. And they have a party, a celebration. He wants, Jesus, would you please be like the, the guest of honor, and we're going to have a big party. And, and, and Levi's like, yay, this is cool. Now, this is one piece of the response. He walks toward Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And he says, okay. So he begins walking toward Jesus. And he doesn't know what's in store. Here's the, the crazy thing, the, the, the complicated thing about response is sometimes we don't know where it's going. Sometimes response is full of mystery. And you know, so you know a calling is only from God when the response following him doesn't make any sense at all. Like it makes sense because the spirit's there saying, hey, this makes sense. But logic and all human reason says, this makes no sense. I experienced this in my own life, in my own call. I, if you don't know this about me, leading up to my call to ministry, I was on my way to law school because I was going to be rich. Lawyers are rich. And, and drive a Porsche. I was going to drive a Porsche. I had these great plans. I knew what I wanted. From five years old, I knew I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to start in defense because there's a lot of guilty people out there and they'll pay through the nose for good representation. And eventually, I'd go into prosecution and become a judge. Eventually, that was my whole plan. I'd become a judge. So this is my plan. I had a great plan. It made sense. And then out of nowhere, God says, oh, hey, by the way, uh, I want you to be a pastor. 
did not make sense. I told my mom, and she's like, she, she, I love it. My favorite response in the whole world. My mother says, well, you know, even if you wanted to be a ditch digger, as long as you're happy. <laughs> yeah, read between the lines on that one. <laughs> told my best friend from college, I think I'm supposed to be in the ministry. He laughed at me. He goes, okay, what's the joke? <laughs> There was this young lady uh, who knew me from college, my reputation in college. <laughs> and when we showed up, she went to seminary. We showed up for orientation at seminary, at Western Theological Seminary in Holland. I walk in, it's orientation. She looks up, she sees me, and she goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, it did not make any sense. It still boggles my mind. I mean, seriously, like law, wealth, pastor. I could have driven a Porsche Ridgeline. <laughs> Not even my Ridgeline, it's Trent's Ridgeline. <laughs> it's a great car. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for selling me your, your truck. I appreciate it. You got a good deal. I got a great deal. Gets me around. Doesn't make sense. But with God, things make sense. Like, like human wise, nope. But in God's logic, Hey, Levi, you make all this money. You have life by the tail. I mean, nobody likes you, but you've got it all. Get up. Leave it all. Head in this direction. Don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to hang out with me. Okay. And he does. Now, I told you there's two responses in this moment. First is Levi's response. He follows Jesus. He walks toward Jesus. Second response now, Jesus isn't having a life-changing moment here, but he responds too. Because the second thing that happens is Levi invites Jesus into his home for a party. I want you to be the guest of honor. And Jesus says, okay, Jesus walks toward Levi. They're walking toward each other. Even though Jesus is going to a party that's paid for on the back's of a thousand poor people. Did you ever think about that? How that party was paid for? It was paid for by corruption. And Jesus went anyway. Because in this moment, Levi matters more. In this moment, Levi is the one that Jesus is walking toward. And Jesus doesn't start, stop when he's walking toward us. There's no stopping him. Calling, response, now healing. Okay, so there's no traditional sense or story of healing in this thing. Like there's no, you know, the, the hand goes and it works or the, eye, the blind eyes can see or, or some dude gets up and takes his mat who couldn't walk before and now he can walk. So that's not in here. That's not what's happening. Um, so like, what do you mean? What are you talking healing? I mean, yeah, we get, we get like hospital imagery. We get, you know, doctors and sick and that kind of stuff. But where's the healing? Well, I think there's healing here. I really do. And I think even more importantly, there is a promise of healing for all the sick. And that matters. That matters, and I'm gonna tell you why in just a second here. As Jesus sits there with his disciples, 
at a party paid for on the backs of a thousand poor people who have been bilked out of their money. A bunch of guys who were, they felt pretty good about themselves spiritually. They walk up and they say to his disciples, hey, what in the world? You're supposed to be holy people. What's going on? And I love that. They talk to the disciples. The disciples don't get a chance to talk back. Jesus is like, hold on a second. I got something to say. He says, you do realize that the sick are the ones that need doctors, right? And people that are healthy, they don't need to go to the hospital. I didn't come to call righteous people. I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, that seems like a pretty, it's a little confrontational, but it's rather benign. It's kind of a teaching moment, but it's not. This is a very confrontational moment with the Pharisees. This is a declaration of war on the Pharisees. Do you want to know why? Because as Pharisees, they were steeped in the scriptures. Their job, their whole life goal was to memorize the Bible. For them, that was the Old Testament. Memorize it. Know it by heart. Every single word that God says. And so when Jesus says this, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Suddenly, these Pharisees are caught in a catch-22. Suddenly, they're, they're caught by the fact that God's word is holy and perfect, and they know it, and they know what Jesus is saying in this moment. Because God's word also says to them, and they know this, like in Ecclesiastes, says this, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right, and never sins. That means them. They know that. They also know this from uh, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 14 when it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. And the Pharisees know that. Like they know that. Hey, I haven't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And the Pharisees are like, wait, 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 wait. but, oh no, but see, I thought, we're, I mean, we're righteous, aren't we? Yeah, we're righteous, but the Bible says we're not righteous, and Jesus comes for the sinners, but not the righteous. It doesn't say in Psalm 143, do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. Yep, that's what it says. So you know what? Jesus is saying that he's here for us and those tax collectors at the same time. There's Jesus. Lumping those church people together with people who they believed they should not be lumped with. They were fighting to believe they were righteous because no one likes to think that they're sick. No one likes to think that they don't measure up. No one likes to think that they're failing or, 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 or hurting. I got to tell you, and I'm sorry, I keep spitting. I got to tell you, in, in the work that I've done, I've done a lot of work with hurting churches. Not one of them wanted to admit they were hurting. As attendance wanes, as finances uh, go away, as they can't even maintain their properties anymore, and they haven't had a pastor in however long, and they don't know what the future holds, and they know they're dying, they still don't think they're sick. They won't admit it. It's the first step in trying to help somebody, that they understand that they need help. If you're not willing to admit it, you're not going to get it. 
It's hard to come face to face with what it means to be broken. That we're a mess. I'm a mess. And that stands in direct contradiction to what we want to think about ourselves as God-fearing, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. Aren't we righteous? No. Yes. No. Yes. We are covered in Christ's righteousness. Philippians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 5, these are all absolutely confident proof texts that we are covered in Christ's righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Hey, eh? imputed righteousness. Thank you. Trent likes that one. Imputed. Somebody else's, Jesus' righteousness. Like a cloak placed on us. Yes, yes we are. Yes, that's true. We have a new identity in Christ. Absolutely. And yet, here we still are. Broken and hurting and frayed and messed up sometimes. Yeah, I got to tell you, I believe one of the greatest dangers of being a Christian is forgetting where we come from and from what we've been redeemed. We get, we get so comfortable in our new identity in Christ, we get so comfy in our Christianity, we forget that there's still brokenness in here. The, it's the, uh, the Paul, uh, the author of much of the, old, new, uh, the new Testament, uh, that's what we call his already not yet. There are things that are already true and yet we're still waiting. And I think so often in the church we forget the yet we're still waiting part. We, we kind of want to tuck that underneath we get comfy in our life that's sort of different from the world and we start to mistakenly believe that this is heaven on earth and we start running into this, this thing where we, we, we compare ourselves to other people and that, that, that happened in, in that moment with Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, he talks about sinners and, and, and uh, righteous. He talks about healthy and sick and the natural human impulse is to go, which one am I? And then not only which one am I, but am I better than that person over there? Am I healthier than them? Am I less messed up than that one over there? We do this comparison thing, and, it, and it's just, it, just, it just tears relationships apart. It hurts us to do this. It's one of the things that breaks the church is we start thinking about us and them. And as, as the years go by and our friendships outside of church circles diminish, we begin to see the world through tainted lenses, lenses that have been tainted by the perception that this is normal. rather than the radical, uh, revolutionary insurrection against the brokenness of normality that Jesus actually brought. This is an insurrection, church. And then, because we've forgotten that, because we don't remember every single day that we're not quite there yet, then we forget to offer that same mercy we've been given Everybody else who's really different than we are. All right, I got a story to tell. See, I'm still a storyteller, so I'm going to tell you a story. And I'm going to try and do it fairly quickly. I'm going to summarize it. It's a great story. It's from 1990. It's uh, about a guy named Tony Campolo. Anybody ever heard of Tony Campolo? A few of you, yeah? So Tony Campolo is a preacher. Uh, he's an author. And he had this amazing moment in 1990. Um, <clears throat> he gets off a plane in Hawaii, 
and it's like three in the morning, and he's not tired. Um, so he finds himself in a little out-of-the-way diner. It's kind of a hole in the wall, and <clears throat> he needs to get a cup of coffee and a donut. And he's sitting there, and at 3.30, boom, the door opens up, and in walk a whole bunch of hookers, prostitutes, in case you didn't know what I meant by that. And suddenly he's surrounded, and he's kind of feeling a little uncomfortable, like, I'm going to finish my coffee and get on out of here. And as he's sitting there, one of the ladies sitting next to him is talking to her friend. And, and she says to her, hey, did you know that tomorrow's my birthday? And her friend says, so? What do you want me to do? Throw you a party? What, you think I'm going to get you a present? No, I don't. I'm not, I didn't tell you so you'd throw me a party. I just wanted somebody to know it's my birthday tomorrow. It's kind of fun, right? It's like, I don't care if it's your birthday. I'm not going to do anything for you. Look, nobody's ever thrown me a party. I don't expect a party. I just wanted to share that I have a birthday tomorrow. Forget it. Never mind. And they finish with their coffee break and they go out back to work. It's a weird thing to say. I'm sorry. And Tony, in this Holy Spirit moment, because he's Tony, he says to the diner, the guy who owns the diner, his name was Harry, hey, Harry, do you know that gal? Oh, Agnes? Yeah, Agnes. It's her birthday tomorrow. Yeah? What do you think, Harry? What, what if we throw her a party? I'll get some streamers, I'll make some signs, I'll get a cake. Tomorrow night, Let's throw her a party. Because they come in here like every night, right? Yeah, yeah, every night. 3.30, every night. Every night, 3.30. Let's throw her a party. And Harry's like, dude, that's so cool. But you're not bringing the cake. He calls to his wife who's in the back. Hey, honey, we're bringing the cake. What? Agnes' birthday tomorrow. Let's bring the cake. Okay. That sounds cool. So everybody's excited. So 2.30 the next night, Tony shows up. He starts decorating this, this, this flea-bitten diner, all with streamers and bunting. And he's got this big postery thing on cardboard. Happy birthday, Agnes. Well, it seems like Harry's wife told everyone. And at quarter after three in the morning, this place is wall-to-wall hookers. <laughs> and right on cue, at 3.30, door pops open. In walks Agnes with her friend. And everybody yells out, happy birthday, Agnes. And she's blown away. They sit her down in one of the booths, and they're singing happy birthday to you. And it's a great thing. They put this cake down in front of her, and there's a candle on it lit, and she's just staring at this thing. And then she just erupts into tears. She just can't hold it together. She's like, Agnes, Agnes, dude, calm down. And blow out the candle. Make a wish. Come on. We're going to have some cake. After a while, she blows out the candle. She's like, dude. Do we have to eat the cake right away? Well, I mean, Agnes, it's your cake. You can do whatever you want. It's my cake? Yeah, it's your cake. You can do whatever you want. Can, can I keep the cake? You, it's, it's your cake. Can I take it home? Agnes, yeah, if that's what you want. Okay, I'm going to take my cake home, and I'll be right back. I live just down the street. I'll be, I'll be right back. Agnes gets up with this cake, holding it like it's the holy grail, and goes out with this and disappears. And there's everybody just standing there. It's like crickets. At which point, Tony Campolo, because he's Tony, says, well, what do you say, everybody? Should we pray? And they bow their heads. And he prays for Agnes. He prays for her heart. He prays for her life, that she would know that God loves her. And that she would be encouraged. And she would know she's not alone. And he says, amen. At which point, 
Harry leans over the counter and says, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And this is one of those moments where the Holy Spirit gave Tony the exact right words. And he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry pauses for just a moment and then he says, no, you don't. There's no such thing as a church like that. If there were, I'd be a part of a church like that. pretty dangerous to forget where we come from because then we forget that the folks out there that are hurting are really just us because honestly was Agnes's sin greater was she worse there's this human comparison thing again right am I better or worse Neither. We're all in the same field. We're loving. We're even with each other. Even us in the church, we're even. Dead even with the whole world around us. We've got a different identity, but we're still a mess. I'm often surprised at the depravity of which I'm still capable. The temptation, the things that pop into my head that I have to squish. But then... I am encouraged because Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And that means he came for me. And he's still walking toward me. And he'll never give up. Never. Praise be to God that Jesus came for the sick. And praise be to God that he has given me a new identity so I can join him in chasing after those sick people too. So it's not just him walking toward them, it's me too. All for his glory. and All for his renown. All so that we too can become the fishers of people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, abundant love, grace and mercy are yours. And then you give them away. And that means they're mine. Thank you. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for everything about you that makes you different. And yet, at the same time, you are human and you're the same. And you walk toward us and you say, I love you and I'm going to be with you. And there's nothing going to be separating us. And that means that that you're not going to let sickness get in the way. Because you're the doctor. And I pray for the courage to join you in that. Praise be you, Lord Jesus, for making your church the kind of place that would throw birthday parties at 3.30 in the morning for anybody.
your precious name we pray. Amen. I hope as you go off from here, the, the thing you take with you is, is really simply this, that, that the God who's absolute and unconditional love for you is meant for you. It's meant for you and everybody else just like you. And that you will receive the unconditional love and favor of a God who will never stop pursuing you. And that you will share that mercy, love, and favor with the people in your life. Go off from here knowing that God loves you and gives you the strength to love. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.